This is episode 222 of IDRA Class Notes. Some teachers, administrators, even parents are very selective in what they think bullying and harassment is. Even with definitions we can supply over and over again, the point is if a student is being harmed, if a student feels hurt because of a particular behavior of another student or a group of students, that's bullying and harassment when it becomes consistent and ongoing. One comment, if I don't like your hair and I just say that, but if I'm telling you every single day that I don't like your hair, that becomes bullying and harassment. Welcome to IDRA's Class Notes podcast. During this episode, we'll be talking about interrupting bullying and harassment. Leading the conversation is IDRA's EAC South Director, Dr. Paula Johnson, and Senior Education Specialist, Aurelio Montemayor. I am Michelle Vega, Chief Technology Specialist at IDRA. Let's begin. Hello, and again, welcome to our podcast. I'm very excited today to speak with Michelle and Aurelio about a new online technical assistance package for interrupting bullying and harassment in schools. Aurelio, would you please tell us what people are going to find in this new web-based package? Thank you, Paula. We have several things that I think are very useful to administrators and educators in a school or a school district. We have some short video clips that could easily help start a conversation, whether it's at a teacher meeting, an administrator meeting, or even at a parent meeting. These are short video clips with the voices of parents and students included. We also have checklists. We have resources for administrators, specifically resources for teachers, and also some targeted information for particular groups of students that need to be noticed and protected. Very useful for school districts. So, Aurelia, you mentioned that there was resources available for school administrators. Could you be a little bit more specific about what's available for school administrators, as well as who should be part of the conversation when it comes to planning on how to stop bullying and harassment on campus? You know, if you're a campus principal, a school principal, or you're studying to be one, you know that policy is part of what you think about and study. These are things that are written that are standard office procedures. These are the things that should be, but the written word first of all, has to be complete. You have to make sure that under the issue of bullying and harassment and how children are hurt and students are hurt, that their voices help put together the policy, that those who are most vulnerable, somehow you've considered them and you've listened to them as this policy is is written. But more importantly, that when you have a meeting, you have consensus with all the adults on the campus, the teachers, the custodians, the librarians, that here is how we're going to treat our student population, how we're going to protect those that are vulnerable in any way. And we're going to help those who are somehow being showing aggressive behavior, how to reduce that. In other words, you need to work on both sides of the issue, but immediately that as you have these conversations, everybody knows that they have to first of all, protect and interrupt and then do something about the larger issue. I think that the video clips are a good start but there's also very specific kinds of issues around even refining your policy that you have in this package and that counsel teachers in terms of how to work in the classroom. Paula? So Aurelio, at the classroom level, as a teacher, as a current and former teacher, I think it's really important that teachers be self-reflective and be very observant around student behaviors in the classroom. 
it's really important to be sure that if they do observe um, aggressive behaviors, and when we say aggressive, we mean aggressive behaviors in that they are harmful to students. If they are targeting a particular student or group of students or are considered hurtful to students, because not all student behaviors that are considered bullying or, or harassing are what people think are aggressive. So we want to make sure that we are very mindful of any type of behavior that is harmful to a student. And so there's two things. One is to stop the bullying or the the incident itself. We want to interrupt, disrupt the event itself, and then show support for the student who is being harmed or targeted, allow them time to move out of that situation and not call more attention to it among their peers. The second part of this is that we also need to be mindful of the student who was the aggressor. A lot of times that student is, it becomes a punishment mode, but we need to, as Aurelio loves to say, and I I love that he says it, humanize those students as well. We need to see the human, the humanity in that child. There's a reason for the behavior. They are not being hurtful out of the clear blue sky. And there's something going on with that student that also needs to be addressed. So it's not just about addressing the harm for the student who was targeted, but we also want to make sure that we have some conversations with the student and possibly their parents, with the counselor or administrator about why the incident occurred. And within the web-based package, we do offer restorative justice practices as a strategy for approaching bullying and harassment because it allows for conversation and dialogue. And then there are some scripting techniques in there that allow the students to give their responses without us guiding them or, or leading them to a particular statement. So I think that's another very important part. And I know that there are a variety of different behaviors and how to address them, though, is always to stop the incident, interrupt the moment, and then have further conversations. Paula, you reminded me in my early years as a high school teacher, I remember that I started noticing aspects that are harassment, but they're not as considered aggressive, like shunning, teenagers shunning within the same ethnic group. There's issues of skin tone and all that, where teenagers in this culture seem to be almost, people laugh at how aggressive children and teenagers can be with each other. As an educator, you need to notice it. And if you can't, something that's long-term is not like there's an incident to interrupt, but how do you let students know that when you shun another student, you're causing harm? How do you humanize that? And I'd like to ask you, Michelle, as a parent, how did you experience some of these issues? So when my son's an adult now, but when he was in middle school, he was, you know, he was learning about himself. He was growing into the person that he's going to be. And he experienced bullying because he is, he's gay. And so he was, you know, just coming out, he was just figuring out who he was and he was experiencing bullying on campus. And so he was being harassed and he was being hurt verbally by some of the fellow students. And I didn't know how to help him. I didn't know what to do to make life better and easier for him on campus. I felt very helpless. We went to school to talk to the teachers and the teachers were like, you know, this is one of the things that just kind of happens. He'll get through this. Don't worry. It's not that bad. 
but it was really bad. And, you know, he had even considered self-harm because it was so bad. And again, I felt helpless. So the only thing that I knew to do since I wasn't finding support on campus was to take him out of that school and send him to a different school. And this was his eighth grade year going into his ninth grade year. And I didn't want him to go to high school with those bullies. So I applied to send him out of district to a magnet school. And like I said, I felt pretty helpless. So I even fasted because that school had a lottery and the only control I had was, you know, fasting so that hopefully the universe would lend the lottery to his favor. But like I said, I didn't know what to do. And so now that I work here and I'm around people like you, that would have been an amazing resource at the time. I think for parents, it's important to let them know what resources are available because again, I felt so helpless. And so, you know, in regards to the bullying and harassment technical assistance package that you were talking about earlier, you know, what resources or what do you think could help a parent like me? Like what is the school's responsibility to help parents? We have some materials very specifically for LGBTQ students, as we have some materials for Black students. In other words, we have very specific kinds of tools that you can use, but they're only as good as your will as an educator to actually use them. You have to have the courage of your convictions and the strength to work with families, to support families. And when families don't accept their child, work with that. Uh, There's a whole variety of things. There are tools, but I said, these are just tools that will be strong if you use them. You have to look at them because these are not easy issues. And as an educator, you have to somehow learn this, do it. And really, you don't learn it in a book. These materials will only guide you in actually doing it, doing something. As Michelle kept looking for a better school for for her child, we have to make our schools open, accepting, humane, and that children feel safe in that environment so that they can learn. What blocks their learning a lot of times is the harassment. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, when he was going through that, there was no learning was occurring, nothing. You know, he he was looking for for help on campus. He was looking for help at home. And, you know, like I said, I, I was ill-equipped to, to help him, but his teachers seemed almost resistant to it. So, you know, it like you said, you know, it has to be the whole community has to rally around that child and figure out what it is that we need to do to to help. That's a really good point in that some teachers, administrators, even parents are very selective in what they think bullying and harassment is. Even with definitions that, that we can supply over and over again, the point is if a student is being harmed, if a student feels hurt because of a particular behavior of another student or a group of students, that's bullying and harassment when it becomes consistent and ongoing. One comment, if I don't like your hair, and I just say that, but if I'm telling you every single day that I don't like your hair, that becomes bullying and harassment. So Aurelia, you mentioned it, that about like, um, you know, the differences among students that might be in the LGBTQ community versus like resources that are specifically targeted for Black students. I think something that we fail to recognize until we're in that situation is that part, the intra- bullying that happens intra-community, intra-cultural, where students within the same racial group or ethnic group or students that speak the same language sometimes have these 
their friendships. I mean, these are students that hang out together, but still have these ways of speaking to each other that can be very harmful. And so you mentioned put down, put down, you know, and and your mama jokes and things like that, that it's only funny until it's not. And someone gets their feelings hurt. Whereas like I have a child in middle school, he's a seventh grader. He's actually in the videos with my other son. And he is experiencing this on a regular basis from his friends that tell him that he is too light to be black. He's too light-skinned to be Black because he is very fair and he has lighter colored hair, so this kind of reddish-brown. And so he could be mixed race or biracial or triracial, whatever, but his friends who are of multiple ethnic and cultural and racial backgrounds, they tend to tease him over this. And he gets extremely upset and um, just this week mentioned that they were trying to get him to say the N-word since he, he must not be Black. And I mean, those are the kind of things that he's experiencing. And I had to share my own experiences when I got to my university and when I was younger. I mean, I had nicknames like milk white because of the color of my skin or light bright. It's something that you we do want them to become strong in who they are. But at the same time, we have to stop the behaviors. We, they shouldn't have to endure it and just go, you're strong enough to, to handle this. It has to stop. And so we have been working with the school. I'm very thankful for our principal and the counseling team and the teachers who are looking for it. But I had to advocate for my son and email them and let them know this was happening so they could be mindful and, you know, observant. But it should happen automatically. We should be watching out for our kids. Yes, Aurelio. One important point of view that our organization models and is very important is the the asset or valuing lens that we looked at every student through that even as we see a student being hurt, we not react with just pity or concern, but that we keep seeing their strength, their value, their intelligence, their potential, and that we approach each child, each student in that way so that the harm isn't the primary motive for connecting with them. You want to interrupt anything that's harming or blocking, but because you value them as human beings, as potential leaders, as potential brains, all that stuff, that asset lens is very important. And sometimes we take on a kind of a kindly but deficit view of, of certain children that are of a certain group. That is also repeating the, the harm sometimes. So make sure that your way of looking at Your whole campus is from an asset point of view, and every child is seen that way. So I have a question for Aurelio. Um, You know, if a teacher, just for practical purposes, if a teacher actually witnesses bullying, what would you say might be a good way to interrupt that bullying? Like, what could the teacher do? Is it as simple as saying, you know, that that's not correct behavior or, you know, what should happen? Uh, You have to be wise about it because you don't want a further spotlight put in in a negative way on the the person that's being hurt. So you might physically stand between the two if necessary and do something that interrupts it for later conversation in support of the one that was hurt and to work a dialogue with the one who's the aggressor, if that's that kind of thing. You have to be pretty wise about it and you make mistakes, but because just to say, don't say that, don't do that sometimes creates more of a situation. So you have to be wise. And as a teacher in classroom management issues, you figure out how to handle the clown, the ones that interrupt all the time. In other words, you have a set of behaviors as a teacher that keeps the learning environment safe and positive. It depends on the nature of the aggression. If somebody, let's say, uses a racial slur, that yes, we don't 
speak that way, boom, you, you stop it immediately in that way because they used language that was aggressive and negative. You do it right there and you move on. You don't make a big issue of it, but later on you talk to the aggressor, the one who used that, who insulted a whole bunch of students in the classroom by using the word. Then you meet with them after class because you also don't want to interrupt the learning process going on. In other words, you want to keep that going because a lot of times the aggressor wants to stop the classroom. They do it to stop you from teaching, you know, to have the spotlight. So you don't want to give them the spotlight for long. So depending on the aggression, but if it's like a, a racial slur, boom, stop, boom, boom. And if that continues, you send them out of the classroom. In other words, like you stop that and you see everybody that this is non-negotiable in my room. Okay. But because you want to also be able to work with everybody on that, and especially the one who used that slur, you have to figure out how you go one-on-one -on -one with that student. And you, you do a series of conversations because not just one no-no doesn't do it. In other words, like, okay, why did you need to do that? Boom, 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 stuff like that. Paula? I totally agree with Aurelio. One of the top things that worked for my mom, worked for me as a parent, but also worked as a teacher is proximity. When we do classroom management, we talk about proximity. And sometimes just off-task behavior by itself can be interrupted with just moving towards that group of students. Like we have those digital sonar hearing as teachers and parents. Sometimes that where, so if you just think you heard a word or a phrase that you know does not belong in your classroom, you know, you just kind of move that way. And that can usually shut it down. You still follow up with the conversation. If it's something that was definitely out loud and definitely disruptive, what I say about almost anything that happens in the classroom is I go back to like policy. Like what are our classroom agreements? That is definitely something like, if, whether it's a curse word or a racial slur, to me, neither belongs in the classroom. So I am very quick to say, you know, we agree that we're not going to use that type of language in here. And then again, follow up later on. If it's the two students who are involved, having a conversation, because I'm just going to make this part quick, comes back to restorative. Because if you do not make an effort to bring that relationship back together, because that racial slur towards a student or an insult, anything like that, breaks relationships. The whole goal is to have a classroom environment that is not just inclusive, but makes students feel like they belong. You don't want to, you know, exile any students in the classroom, whether they are the targeted or the targeter. So you need to bring back that kind of like not just shake hands and agree, but give the student who was harmed by the action or statement the opportunity to let that person know how it made them feel. So they understand I have harmed this person. That's why we talk about harm and restorative practices. And then the student who was the aggressor has the opportunity right then and there to apologize and then also have a quick dialogue about why we don't do these things, trying to make a, an agreement that we won't continue these types of behaviors. So again, as Aurelio said, we don't want to do that right then and there. You kind of either pull them out or you have a meeting scheduled with a counselor. Sometimes it needs to be with parents and counselors or an administrator. And there's a question here about like, what do school administrators do to keep parents from thinking their only option is to change schools? And so I have, again, my principal and his team, they have these agreements between students. And so it's kind of like, if there's a repeated behavior that's occurring, then they come up with these agreements where the two students agree. Basically, it's almost like a, what do they call them? Like a when you have to stay so far apart from someone else, they, they agree not to interact, which again, with adolescents like my son who has one of these, the next week they came back like, well, we wanna be friends again. I was like, so 
in that. Even if you have these type of situations where you've um, sat down with the students and said, look, we just don't think you should be together. Even if you're in the same class, teachers are aware they're not going to put you together. If the students try to come back together, what my campus said was there needs to be a probationary period and we'll see if you can really interact in positive ways. But kids are so fickle, you know, one day they're best friends, the next day that they are their enemies again. So ultimately, I think that parents, teachers, principals, and the students have to be a part of a conversation that establish boundaries and actions and behaviors that are acceptable and not acceptable. And then we have to make sure everyone is educated. And Aurelio, I think you had one more thing to say before we right. go. Uh, Michelle's situation was where there were large numbers of students that were homophobic. In other words, it wasn't a one-on-one thing, and I understand that deeply, that as an administrator, you really have to work in your campus because some teachers might have, for religious reasons, prejudice against gay students. And so those are really hard to deal with because when you connect to somebody's faith, it's like their cornerstone. And so it's not easy, but you need to create a campus so that Michelle doesn't have to pull her kid out of that school. And you don't want to throw the spotlight on the student that's causing what you're doing either. So you have to be very intelligent and subtle sometimes, but doing something because you have this cloud over the campus that any gay student is going to feel unwelcome and targeted in many ways. So that it's not simple to deal with, but you have to face it. And then you have to talk to the family, like Michelle was saying, look, we're going to do this and this and this. What do you think we should do so that your child can be safe and happy in learning in our school? And then have conversations with families about that, too. So positive school climate, that's the overall theme here is is we want to create schools that are positive and welcoming and affirming for the students for who they are. All right. That kind of concludes our conversation. We want to let you know that you can find the web-based technical assistance packages on our website. The ones specific to bullying and harassment, as well as other topics, are found on the IDRA's EAC South website, and that address is www.idraeacsouth.org. Again, that's www.idraeacsouth.org. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much, Michelle and Aurelio. You will also find this information in the show notes below the podcast posting. And thank you again to our wonderful team. I just love working with y'all. It's been great. Until next time. Thank you for listening to IDRA Class Notes. For more information on IDRA and other Class Notes topics, go to www.idra.org. You can also send us your thoughts by email to podcast at idra.org.